Doug South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. We're mass communicating. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. This is the End of the Line Podcast, powered by DougSouth.com. I give it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that. And now, here your host, Rocky LaFleur. Everybody on? Good, great, grand, wonderful. No yelling in the butt. Josh Webb. Sorry I had a fight in the middle of your butt. I'm part of And Jake LaTondres. I'm bad news. Also starring Rob Crew. I bet this guy's into the woods a hundred bucks. And Bradley Ramsey. Bill Martin inside. Showtime. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Showtime, everybody. Showtime. Welcome to the End of the Line podcast. I'm Rocky LaFleur in the Duck South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. Joining me all the way in Kansas. Oh, Rhino. Rhino, this thing has gotten a lot bigger than I thought it was going to be. There are a lot of people listening to you. Hopefully, hopefully they're learning something. Well, hey, if we get too far ahead in the story, well, I can say this. You know, one of the things that you actually said that you were going to do after you were sentenced was you were going to educate people, right? That's correct. I thought that, that was, was part of your... That was the goal. That's what I told the uh, the federal judge there in court, so... I know the misery that I felt and the misery that I went through and was going through at the time, and I didn't, I wouldn't wish that, wish that on my worst enemy. So I swore that day that I would do everything I could to educate other people and and eliminate some of these issues. I know that y'all have had a ton of bad weather today. Yes, we have. Uh, it's been Man, raining most of the day. I've seen video coming from some of my buddies out in Kansas, and just hell, it, it, it's awful, awful weather there. Yeah, we've had some two-inch diameter hail around and some several tornadoes on the ground in the last week, and wouldn't surprise me if we didn't have tornadoes down in Kansas here before the end of the night. It's been raining most of the day. It's, it's rained, now. Oh, I think, between three and five inches is what they said it was going to rain. So lots of flooding, lots of roads closed. You don't think again, about it. It back goes back to a previous conversation about about turkeys. It's hard on nests. Man, you can get out there on, I guess, a uh, 70 70 that runs right in kind of the north central part of Kansas across to Colorado. You get out there, man, you can see a you can see a tornado coming from a long ways away. Yeah. Yeah. You can you can see them it's pretty flat. Kansas is pretty flat for the most part, so you can see them. It's night when night times when they're an issue. Can't see very good obviously, so lightning strikes and you see it and you don't you sit there and think, okay, was that a mile or was that 10 miles? Or So that's kind of a scary feeling if you're ever driving at night. When I was on the, on the sheriff's department here in Reno County, we used to go storm watch, and that was part of it. They would send you down there and say, we see rotation, see if you see anything. Well, it's 1 a.m., so you'd wait for lightning to flash, and yep. Try to yeah, catch there's something there. Pick it out. Yeah. Kind wow. of weird feeling. You know, hell, hell, uh, the past two summers I've been through Kansas and Nebraska, and it looks like hell really wreaks havoc on the, the corn crops out there. It does, and hell. You know, hell, hell's just a bad thing. I remember as a kid, uh, duck hunting with my dad. There was limited water, but we had water right by a, 
a lake that the Garden City Company owned, and they used it for irrigation only, and nobody could hunt on it. So it was like a giant refuge. But right across the dike, literally 10 foot from the from the dike, we had permission to hunt a little tailwater pit that sat there. And it was great, great hunting. Those are some of my first memories. And I remember one time during duck season, it hailed late. And we went out duck hunting. And there were dead birds everywhere. It was, to this day, it was one of the weirdest things I've seen in the woods. You would look across, uh, you know, like a, a winter wheat field, and you would see, you know, as, as a duck every, you know, 50, 60, 70 feet. It was really, really weird. Really, really weird. Um, I didn't realize hail would do that kind of damage to birds like that, but, and I was, I was little, so, you know, it, it, it very easily could have been, you know, a couple hundred feet, but I remember seeing hundreds of dead ducks and when Daisy, our dog would go out and retrieve whatever we shot at, inevitably she came back with, you know, a duck that we were worried about how you know if that was a duck that was killed in the hailstorm three days ago or or whatever so it was a very odd phenomenon nothing i've ever heard of or seen like it but i remember it pretty clear it was definitely something that stood out kind of shocking to me well <clears throat> We were, like I said, we were driving through there last year, and I guess, you know, that, that weather, that gulf moisture comes up and meets those cold fronts right there through Kansas and Nebraska and northern Oklahoma, and it's a lot of severe weather that spins off of that yeah. right there in the earth. And, and it's usually late April, May, early June when y'all have that, you know, the worst weather that y'all are going to have. Yeah, and then you'll get some stuff in the fall, you know, like you're talking about. About the time it gets gets ready to start cutting corn and stuff like that. So, you know, you start getting around that September time frame, you'll have some of those fall storms. And uh, sometimes it'll come in and hit a cornfield and just strip it. Oh, man, it's Which, rough. Like I said, it, it was just... Thousands upon thousands of acres of corn just shredded by hail yeah. out there. But so just just on a side note for the future, uh, according to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services, if you hunted that field, you would be hunting a baited field. Really? Yes. Whether it's from hail, whether it's from uh, what they call husk mites. They get into the husk of corn. I don't really know that much about a husk mite, but that's what they called it. They say it'll get into the husk of, of an ear of corn and basically chew through it, and the corn ear will fall to the ground or whatever. But, yeah, there's there's some interesting baiting laws and opinions out there and lots of gray area on baiting, which they they want to make it a hot topic, but... Again, it's it's another hot topic that's not a very clear topic. So, definitely an interesting topic. You know, in my opinion, here in Mississippi, Louisiana, Arkansas, Missouri, our insurance program requires for farmers to disc any insurance corn under. You can't flood. Um, insurance corn if you declare insurance on that corn you don't make a crop off of it uh they make you disc it well that's yeah that's the way that's the way it's it is here too um the problem with that is september in in the state of kansas 
or in the Midwest at least, is a good time to start putting wheat, your winter wheat, into the ground. So a lot of times they're bringing that corn crop off and going back in with winter wheat, which if you have a hail storm come through and wipe your corn crop out in the middle of August or in the middle of September and you don't harvest it, you go back in and disc it into the ground and either no-till wheat into it or till wheat into it, either one. I've seen it done both ways. Um, you, you're likely hunting a baited field. And I was told that by U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And to the extent of which I said, what can I do to determine if a field is baited or not? And they said they use a steel ring a little bit bigger than a hula hoop. They toss it down and then they see what the criteria reads. And, and if it meets the criteria of a baited field, whether you baited it, Joe Bob baited it, husk mites tore it up, hail tore it up, or whatever, you're hunting a baited field. And you'll be in violation. And when I asked what, what to, you know, how to combat that, the answer I got was get a hold of the game warden and have him come look at it. And I said, okay, the issue with that is I run an outfitter, a guide service. I'm an outfitter. And so Saturday night or Sunday night at nine o'clock, when I make a determination on what field we're going to hunt the next day, what game warden's going to meet me out there? Well, they're probably not. So then what do you want me to do? Well, if you don't know, don't hunt it, is what I was told. And I said, that's not very practical at all. No. I said, well, it may not be practical, but it's legal. Now, here's another interesting thing. In the same flip of that coin, the state of Kansas will plant sunflowers 40 acres of sunflowers uh, by a refuge and mm, about middle of August when those sunflowers peak and head out real good and get fully developed, they'll go in and mow them down and disc them. Doves. And then they will allow you to hunt migratory birds called doves in those fields. And I'm not sure what part of mowing sunflowers and disking them constitutes normal agricultural purposes, which is word for word how the law reads. But I do know that disking a field because insurance requires it and 50 of your neighbors are doing it and everybody in the central part of the state is doing it because of a hailstorm seems a little bit more like it would fall under the terms of normal agricultural purposes. But it doesn't, I guess. Last week, Ryan, when we closed it out, the boys were, the posse was staging, I can't remember in what town they were staging in, which but they town? were all Wichita, all getting together, ready to come back, come down on the old warden compound. That's correct. So there was, I found out later that there was, well, the next day, that there was 52 agents that were brought to the Wichita area. I'm not sure exactly what hotel they stayed in. Um, but they stayed in a hotel on the west side of Wichita. They did a briefing about why they were there. They brought some local guys in. Some of the local guys knew me. Um, they brought some local guys in. I remember some of these local guys were guys I backed up when I was on the sheriff's department down at the lake and wherever we ate lunch together and stopped on dirt roads and talked and whatever so 
anyways, they brought the majority of the guys were federal agents, but they did use some local guys. Um, because I don't know why they thought they needed 52 people, but apparently they did. So that's what they brought. 52? Why? Why? I mean, just, I mean, okay, so they're going to come in there and check your freezers and grab your computers. Why Why would they need that many people? It's not like you you and your guides were going to resist and, you know, hold the fort. Well, I, you know, probably some of it was me having a law enforcement background. Um, I was and still am a certified NRA pistol instructor. I was teaching some concealed carry classes. Um, I was still active on the local police department here when I was helping my buddy. Um, so, you know, I don't know, but apparently they didn't. I mean, being in law enforcement, you don't ever want to est underestimate what you're going into. But I, I mean, I think that's probably a that's probably an overkill, you know, especially what they were coming after with the charges they were coming at. You know, if if they were coming after me because I had raped and kidnapped fifty women and buried them under my house. Okay, now that that threat level is a little different threat level than being a duck or two over the limit, not tagging a bird, uh, storing an untagged bird, things yeah, of that we, nature that normal waterfowl not, guys do. We're not talking Waco here. I mean, we're talking a guide service. Yeah, and no, no statements were ever made of, I don't know, you know, if the feds ever showed up, I would have loaded guns here and there and what I mean. That that would have ruined my play around job as a police officer. And I mean, it's, nothing like that was ever said. Nothing jokingly or even that could have been taken out of context. So I wasn't really sure why they brought so, that many people, but they did. Where where were you? All right, so let, let's walk through this step by step. Where were you as they came down on the on the lodge, and and walk us through that? Okay, so the the two undercover guys wanted to be there during the time period that the foul play outdoor guys were there because they thought that we were breaking the law while they were filming. So they had been there one year. They had came back um, the next. Dan and George had been on several hunts in between, and they were adamant that they wanted to come when the foul play guys were coming. So we said, all right, usually that's, sometime after Thanksgiving before Christmas. We kind of hit peak numbers during that time. Things are good. Things are usually not froze out, whatever. Um, you'll have some fall rains. We'll be able to have some sheet water and some of these dry fields, stuff like that. That's just usually a good time to be around. So they agreed to that, and we gave them a date when we gave the – We, I mean, we, we delivered on our part to the feds and said – Here's when these guys are going to be here. Uh, they said, okay. Did you think it was weird that they wanted to be there then? Did it, bells going off? You know, bells went off the whole time. So nothing was too, you know, nothing was too standout type deal. And, we, you know, a lot of times we had different TV people in there. Um, we were, we were on about every deer show, turkey show, predator show there was. And so a lot of times we had people in and, uh, you know, people wanted to come when they were there just to meet this, them as celebrities or have a chance to be on TV or whatever. These were older guys, but I mean, I think. I felt like at the time they were kind of leaning on 
us bringing in a TV show during a peak time so we could have peak advertisement peak. And so they were just wanting to be there at the same time. So I kind of just downplayed it and was like, ah, you know, whatever. It doesn't, it, and ultimately when it comes down to it, the thing that probably got us in the end was we just kept thinking we're not doing anything wrong. So whatever. I mean, it's like, it's like when you're driving down the street and a cop pulls out behind you. Is he following me? Well, it doesn't really matter because I'm not doing anything. So whatever. I mean, follow me all you want. I'm driving 34 miles down this road. You can follow me the whole trip. I don't care. So at that point, they'd been on enough hunts. We had discussed it time and time again. We thought something wasn't right. Didn't know what it was, but weren't breaking the law that we thought. So we just kept going, whatever. So the foul play guys showed up the day before Dan and George. We went northeast of Haven, and there was a there's a marsh out there that's private and the ducks were stacked in on it. They were coming out to dry fields feeding. Um, so we went into a corn stubble field and there was eight of us and we shot an eight man limit of mallards and pintails and some wedgeons. We got out of there 20 minutes, 30 minutes before official sunset so it was a good it was excellent and we couldn't ask for anything more we got out of there the birds continued to feed in there so everything hey, hey let me good. ask you this brian looking back on it now do you think george and his partner were watching that hunt from a distance i think somebody was watching that somebody was watching that hunt we we confirmed that later i don't really know who it was. I don't know who it was because we were shooting that field and we had a sailor go out and drop across the road and one of my guides was sitting down the road and he saw it and he went over and picked it up and they knew that and none of that wow. was on film. None of that was on film, and they weren't with us. They're, hey, they're hey Ryan, 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 real quick, b b b before you tell that, for the people that are listening that hunt in groups, which is 99.9% .9 of people, if you shoot a bird down, you count it, right? You wing it, it sails, you count it, right? Correct. And you better try to retrieve it some kind of way. Correct. But go yeah. ahead. So the statement was made at one point, not to me, because as you'll learn, I didn't, I didn't talk much then. But the statement was made that they were a hundred yards away from us in that cornfield, filming us. Now, holy crap! We had dogs out there with us, and I, I don't know. I I didn't buy that. I I don't. I still don't buy that necessarily. I mean, maybe a quarter mile with a spotting scope in the middle of the field and a ghillie suit or something. I would buy that. About a hundred yards. I mean, we pulled into that field. We didn't know where we were going to set up. So, I mean, and we have dogs, and you know that they were either downwind of us and getting shot, or they were upwind of us, and the dogs would have smelled them. 
and I mean, we didn't have dogs out there for people, but I'm just saying, I, I don't know. I just, I just had a hard time believing that statement, but I know from being in law enforcement too, it's not against the law for them to lie to you to get you to say something. So law enforcement will, as part of interrogation processes, interviewing interrogation schools, they're going to tell you, you can lie to them. There's no law that says, you know, well, I have 15 written statements here that says whatever, and they may not have anything. So, you know, I, I, I never put that much weight into the, to that. The only weight I put into it was the fact that they knew one of the guides came down the road and picked up a bird. That, that gave me some added value in their statement that they were watching us. So Un, unreal. We went in, bird hitched birds, um, left a wing attached, bagged them. I mean, we did our pile pictures like everybody does. When we stacked them up and hooped and hollered and jumped around and high fives. Took you pile did. pictures. I know that people are sick of me saying this. You did what you thought was right. At the time, correct, correct. Well, I didn't. We didn't think anything about it. I didn't know there's any separation law, or there, and there is no separation law. But I've heard it so much, even I say it. But if you're not separating, they're not going to write you for not separating. They're going to write you for possession limit, or they're going to write you for not tagging. They're not going to write you a ticket for not separating. However, if you separate your birds, then they're less likely to write you for not tagging. That makes any sense. And I don't know where this, where that evolved from, but hey, hey, Ryan, you and I had a long conversation this afternoon. We were going to try to record earlier. Ended up the weather was really bad on Ryan's way home. We decided to just do it tonight. It's it's Monday night or Tuesday night. I can't remember. Monday night. And so we just had a long conversation about some of the stuff you see on the internet today. What you see on TV. Even what you see on TV. And man, I'm, yeah. I'm maybe progressing this story really far. Just in general, Ryan. They could bust whoever's butthole out from the stuff you see online and on TV, couldn't they, if they wanted to? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, if, I, if, I, if I watch a waterfowl show, I can pick out multiple illegal things that are happening on it. I don't care what show it is. It's, it's very difficult not to, you know, you can't manipulate, you can't go in and mow corn stalks down and then set your decoys in it, and I've done that. I didn't know you couldn't. I mowed around a pit where we had a pit in a cornfield, and we had corn stalks up. I mean, back in 1996, we we mowed around. We took a, a bush hog out there and mowed around the area, made our decoys set more level. They stood out more. You can't do that. Let me ask you this one. Let's well, say you got eight or ten people hunting in a field. You say you, you've got Larry and Joe, the undercover game wardens, watching this. I'm, this is just in your opinion, okay? You have a wave of a thousand little cacklers come in, or ducks. It doesn't matter. Eight, you know, all ten people jump up and shoot. Let's say shooter A ends up with two of shooter C's geese. And the game wardens know that. Is that illegal? That that is illegal. That's what I'm talking the pro- about. The the problem is the problem with that is it's your word against theirs. So here's one of the big issues, and I you know I know Jeff is big on this too. You know, party hunting. I don't know that you can. You can't avoid it, and I got the answer how you could avoid it when I ask it, so we'll get to that here in a second. But when eight guys 
you know, I, wa I watched a real popular waterfowl guy the other day on a show in Oklahoma, sits up, there's eight to ten guys there, they shoot, you know, let's say roughly 150 pellets, 100, let's say 150 pellets in a, in a shell or something like that. So let's, three shots, 450, 10 guys, 4,500 pellets come out of there. So 4,500 pellets come out. Any duck hunter knows a guy that has shot and hit one duck in the eye, and that's the only pellet that they've ever found the duck, and he was the luckiest guy ever. We've all been with that guy before, um, so it can happen. So one pellet can kill a duck or a goose. 4,500 of them go out in the air, and you have birds starting at... 15 feet stacked back to 65 yards, 2,000 birds. You sit up, you spray into them. You're trying to shoot for individual birds. Let's just say mallard drakes because that's what everybody wants to hear, right? So you're shooting at mallard drakes, and pellets that don't go into that bird are obviously going past that bird and hitting birds that are coming up behind it. They're hitting the birds back at 40, 50 yards back. And then as those birds split down the middle and peel out, then you have birds that sail off and fall. You have cripples that go down that you get up and kill. How can you tell me who killed what? And so I brought this same question to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And the statement was, you better know. And I said, there's no way that you can honestly tell me who shot what. So give me a solution to get around it. And they said, if you can't determine what you shot, then you've got too many hunters out there. And I said, okay, three guys. And he said, same answer. If you can't determine what you shot, and I said, there's no way to avoid it. Tell me how to avoid it. And they said, one guy shoots, that's it. And I said, so you're telling me if I take four father-son guys out hunting, so there's eight of them, and me, and the first group of ducks come in, you want me to tell one guy to get up and shoot? He can shoot three shells. The limit on ducks is six. So we're going to have to have 16 groups of ducks come in to even have a chance. That's if they shoot perfect. Get their limits. And the answer was yes. And I said, you know as well as I do, that's not what's happening. That's not what's going on. His response was, "That's the law." But you'll see on TV all the time. You'll you'll hear guys say, "We we've got, you know, we can we, three more, and then we're going to breakfast." And then four guys stand up out of the blind and shoot. Yep. So if you've only got three three left to kill, most likely somebody's a bad shot or a worse shot, and probably. Two of those birds are his, and then one belongs to somebody else. But at a maximum, you should only have three people standing up shooting, no matter what. So there's no way, and you can see it on TV. Just watch, start watching a little bit closer on TV what happens, and listen to the the language that's being used. You know we're we're six away from being done for the day and eight guys sit up and shoot out of layouts or stand up out of a panel blind or you'll be surprised how much or you'll see them toss them over into a pile on the floor of a boat or in the corner of a blind. None of that's legal. I'm sorry I made you chase a rabbit there, but 
think it's so important to talk about this, people to understand this. Oh, it's, it's very important because the, these little things like this is what starts the big things. So once once they determine you're violating of that law, then all of a sudden they go to a judge and they say, hey, on six different instances, this has occurred. We have reason to believe they're doing illegal activity out of that lodge or out of that sportsman's club or duck club we we have we have proof there's illegal activity right here it's documented in this affidavit will you issue me a search warrant to go to that duck club and go to the to the owner's houses or based on this will you give me a search warrant for whatever some you know sometimes the judge will say hey you're gonna have to give me more than that okay well, no problem. They're, here they are. There's, they're throwing their ducks all in the back of their truck, and they're not separated and tagged. Okay, so now you have multiple violations on multiple days. I'm going to go ahead and issue a search warrant and allow you to go on those premises and search for tagging violations. So it's it's no different on the undercover drug world or anything else. They go sell a little bit of marijuana, they establish this guy's a dealer, they get a search warrant for this guy's house, they go to this guy's house looking for stuff that would prove that he's dealing drugs, they find illegal guns, they find cocaine, they find all this other stuff, and the guy ends up getting charged with all of it just because they got in the door to look for one thing. So it's important because all that little stuff leads to the big stuff. All right. So you did find out that they were watching that hunt. So George and the other undercover agent come in the next day. Yeah. So they showed up the next day. We had, I don't know if you know what a mineral tub is or not, but they're, they put cow mineral in it, like molasses or mineral, and then right. the cow yeah. liquid out of there. I mean, they're they're great for guts, for deer, or anything else. So we'd bird hitch those birds, and the night before Dan and then George, Dan and George showed up. We had a guy that had made a a roo and done all this other stuff that they do in the south and was going to cook these ducks other than how we knew how to eat them here in Kansas. And so we cooked a few of them and ate them and they were great. So we had taken I don't know what it was, a dozen a dozen breasts and filleted them into salt water in a bowl and put them into the fridge in the lodge and the rest of the birds we'd went ahead and bird hitched and bagged well the carcasses were in a mineral tub back there in the back and we were going to that was an evening hunt we were going to go on the morning hunt the next morning and dump stuff off well dan and george showed up that evening um and we went on the morning hunt the next morning and it was an okay hunt not a great hunt but i thought we were going to get back into them pretty good in that field um we had only shot it once. Everybody was wanting to go there. Um, we had a couple fields in that area. So what we did was we split up a couple miles apart. I took Dan and George into uh, the good field with me. And... I, you know, I thought we were going to get into them pretty good. Well, the birds flew late. 
they must have learned their lesson the night before flying early, but the birds flew late. Well, while we were laying there, I remember like a dove, a, a dove went by and Dan made the comment. He was in a layout blind right beside me. He made the comment that, you know, we, maybe we should start dove hunting. And I remember not trusting that fact and thinking, are you testing me or what? Because I don't know if it's dove season. It's December. I, I hunt doves for two weeks in September. Usually we have a cold rain. Most of them boogie out. It's not worth messing with. And they had done some things different with the law for doves in the state of Kansas, like left it open longer and changed some stuff where you could shoot Eurasians all year and et cetera. So I didn't really know if he could shoot them or not. And he asked me, and I shoot the next one that flies by, and I said, I, you know, just call me. I said, dude, I, I honestly don't know if they're in season right now or not because I never hunt them after September. And he just kind of laughed. And he said, well, what if they're not? And I said, well, then I ain't going to let you shoot one. And we just kind of laughed it off. Well, then... Some ducks came in, we called the shot, we killed a few. Well, the next thing was, it was getting close to quitting time. And they weren't coming off yet like they were supposed to. And actually about 15 minutes before the end of shooting light, there were shots over near the roost, which is about three miles from us, but I knew they were, it was near the roost. And I remember thinking, holy crap, that that's going to really screw everything up because that's, you know, whether somebody's doing it on purpose or whatever, that, that just doesn't work. That game does not work. You can't force them to do something. So I was kind of kind of frustrated and mad, but didn't say anything. And um, looking back, I, I'm not sure that that wasn't the fishing game, trying to get something going to see if we could shoot over the limit or what I always wondered that. I never did find that out and I never asked it, but I always wondered it um, after the fact. But a few birds showed up late. By the time they got there, it was close enough to quitting time that we quit. Uh, they asked me if, you know, hey, it's, we're like two minutes past. Can we can we just try this one last group? And I'm like, no, we need to. You know, I already called it. So unload them and get up. And let's pick up and get out of here. Maybe they'll come in here, you know, in the next 20 minutes or something, and we'll be be able to hunt them again. And so just lots of can we break the law type stuff. Well, then they I sent them out with another guide, and they were asking him. We We were so sure at that point we weren't. That was the last time. Well, that was the last time I hunted with him. The other guide was nervous enough; he didn't carry a gun with him. And oh, they wow. asked him, and they asked him, "Hey, you don't have your gun? But can we shoot your limit?" Well, no, because I don't. Even have, I don't even have my gun out here. We'll just say you used ours. No. So I told him no. Um, then, I mean, they killed birds there, came back to the lodge. Then the next day, we had two groups out, and I went scouting because we were, <clears throat> things were starting to fly a little bit later, and we were starting to struggle on our evening hunts a little bit. And so, hey, let me ask you this. Brian, let me ask okay. you this. What was their interaction like 
around the camp with with other hunters around? Do you see them asking a lot of questions or, you know, what were they like around other people? You know, normal. You know, how, how are things going? Where are you guys from? You know, what are you guys doing with your film? You know, are you guys trying to be on TV? Are you trying to do this? Are you... Are you whatever? Um, and I had told them about this rue like the first night or something, and I said we're soaking birds. We're gonna soak them for a couple of days, and we're gonna do them. We're gonna do it again. We we're waiting for you guys to get here. But just normal conversation, you know, like how do you make it? I'm from Colorado. We've never done that that so i was telling them what you got to talk to i mean pretty just normal conversate they'd drink a beer here and there nothing stood out as far as interacting with other people so they went out that 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 morning it was the morning it was it was d-day so they went out that morning, um, and they were up just north of Hutch, and it was a pretty guaranteed deal. The limit was three birds apiece at that time, three geese apiece. Um, there was no ducks coming here. It was just geese. We sent them up there to kill some geese, and they went up. To come back, and I am south of Hutch, watching a big feed, but it had a bunch of white geese in it, and we weren't sure that we were going to shoot. We weren't. We weren't sure we were going to shoot it. We didn't want to mess around with a bunch of snow geese, so we were gonna. We were trying to avoid it, but we didn't have a lot of just dark geese anywhere, and there were some field ducks coming in there. And whatever, so they pulled up beside me, and uh, George was in the front seat, Dan was in the back, and he rolled down the window. Uh, I said, how'd you guys do? And they said, good. And one of them said, real good. And, you know, a couple hints were made that, just weird comments, real good, or, I said, so you came out of there all right? Well, we came out a little heavy. And I'm like, okay, obviously you're getting at something. So I said, so what's the deal? And they're like, well, we had a little miscommunication. We ended up being two over. Oh, man. And so I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, I already think you guys are feds. So tell me how this went down. And they're like, well, George says, well, I, you know, I thought, I thought Dan missed. And, uh, you know, we, we were told to kill one bird each. And he said, I, I thought Dan missed, so I shot both. And, and Dan says, well, I, you know, I thought George missed. I, I still never seen his bird fall, either one of them. So he said, I shot two, and we ended up two over. And I said, so what'd you guys do with them? They're like, well, the, the regular limits in the back, the two extras are, you know, we didn't want to waste them, so we threw them in the trailer. And I said, well, that's, you know, that's fine. We'll cook them with that roux later or whatever. But I said, you know, obviously you got to pay attention. And I, and I said it like you would say that to a friend. I mean, granted, they were, paying clients and this was a business but remember they've been on 27 hunts and would blow my phone up all summer with text messages and we talked about elk hunting and whatever so you're you know and then at that point you're thinking if they were fed they wouldn't have done that so there's there's a large part of you that's thinking you're being paranoid over nothing and you're not even doing anything wrong but
that you've talked yourself into this or you think somebody's watching you and you don't even know why they're watching you and they just broke the law. So clearly they're not who you think they are. So they went back to the lodge. They unhooked. The other guide was out with the foul play guys. They came back. They unhooked. They did not kill their limited geese. So they were going to go back and goose hunt that evening. And they were going to go to a different field, different feed. And Dan and George wanted to go out and sit. And they didn't ask if they could double dip. And I don't know that they really insinuated it. They just wanted to go back out hunting. And I said, well, let me go see what's going on with some ducks and whatever. So I pulled the guides out back and I said, look, I I don't know. You know, you guys, we've talked about this a dozen times. Surely they're not feds if they're, I mean, they just broke the law. So I don't know, but let's get it taken care of and get on with it. I said, we're going to cook those ducks tonight anyways. We'll throw those geese in there with them. So kind of, I said, I'm going to go look for ducks. If I'm not back here at 3.30, then, you know, you hook up and go with the foul play guys. You just tell Dan and George I didn't find nothing. I'll be back shortly after that. We'll start dinner. So my first thought was to go check some bridges. And so got the first bridge, checked it, you know, nothing. Got to the second bridge, checked it, nothing. Got to the third bridge, and there was a guy standing there. He was parked there, and he was standing there in waiters. And I remember it was really odd to me. And I said, what do you, you know, what what's going on? And he said, well, I'm walking the river looking for a certain type of rock, like flat rock. And I'm like, I've seen a lot of stuff on this river, but I've not seen that. <laughs> and he looked like he could be in law enforcement. And so I said, have you have you already been or not? And he said, no, I haven't been. And I said, which way are you going? He said, I'm going to go north. I said, here's a business card. If you see any ducks up in there on that river stacked in there, call me. I said, I'll, I'll make sure and give you a, at least a $100 finder's fee. I said, I'm looking for a spot to shoot some ducks on the river. And he said... Okay, I will. So I handed him my business card. It was the last I saw him. I got clear up by Sterling and was checking some bridges. And this was about 3.30. And now jumping back before I left to check these bridges, Dan and George both asked me to go to lunch at Carriage Crossing. It's a little Amish slash Mennonite restaurant it's very popular around here and they had asked me to go go to lunch and i said no you know i got work to do and because we were pushing hard we were trying to be successful so i said no i got you know i got i gotta find you guys something to shoot tonight you know you're gonna be sitting here and they're like no yeah it's all right whatever and i said it'll be all right i said we'll catch up with carriage crossing I said, for now, I'm going to go find find some birds. So I took off, and now I'm clear up at Sterling, which is, oh, 50 miles from here. And I'm just kind of traipsing back and forth across the river, stopping the bridges, seeing if I can hear mallards, seeing if I can see anything. I see an eagle sitting in a tree. It's pretty common around here. They said, you know, about a quarter mile away from along the river. So, just kind of looking for telltale signs of ducks on the river. 
it's still a little early for ducks to be thick on the rivers, and I knew that, so I was kind of it was kind of a shot in the dark. So I um, did, didn't find anything when my phone started blowing up. I was actually out away from my truck underneath a bridge and was had walked a little bit away and had my door open but my keys off and out and I could hear my phone ringing I'm thinking man what kept ringing kept ringing kept ringing and I thought what is the deal so I go back over there and I've got missed calls from my neighbor I've got missed calls from my wife I've got missed calls from my wife's mom I've got I mean, like everybody that could have called me called me, and I can well, hear my phone think, the whole time. I think next week we will get into why your phone was blown up. We will. Is that, is will that a good stopping point? We it it is. It's a hard stopping point, but it's a good stopping point. We will. Uh, I it's promise good, we'll. We'll avoid getting sidetracked. But it's a, now you uh, know where we're at. It's a stopping point that people are going to text and comment and send me messages about how pissed off they are because we're stopping here. Well, it's not. Just for the record, it's not my decision. <laughs> it's not my decision. But things are about to get very, very, very interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I kind of know what's coming, and I, I can't wait to want to walk in your shoes next week. I want to visualize, and you've done well. You've done really good. Like, like when you're telling the story, can I shoot that dove? I'm just sitting there imagining Dan asking you to shoot that dove. You know, I have people ask me that all the time when I got it. You know, just. Hey, can we shoot your ducks? I don't know how many times. And I'm like, no. And they're like, why? Because my kids have gotten used to eating, and I've got a guide tomorrow. Yeah. And that's what's hard because you, you know, you, you get trained in the fact of customer courtesy and being polite. And, you know, you can walk into Walmart and, Say, hey, I need to trade these used diapers for new ones because they're used, and they'll pretty much give you your money back or give you a new deal of diapers. And so society in general expects that type of treatment. And I when agree you with as that. an outfitter, when you as an outfitter say no, that's like unheard of. It's not how. What do you mean no? I'm the I'm the customer. I'm the one paying this bill. And hey, hey Brian. Difficult. Let me ask you this. You're sitting on that river outside of your truck. Your truck is blowing up. Did you have any clue, any clue to why? No. No clue. Wow. At all. You want to stay tuned for next week's episode with Ryan. Man, hey, listen, if we can educate and get people talking about what we talked about tonight, because like I was telling you earlier today, so many times online, see this going on. And if there's an undercover fed watching some of these guys hunt, you're done. You're done. It's over. You you could be with your buddies on a refuge, a big 10 or 12 group party on a refuge, and they're sitting there watching you. You're, you're done. Oh, they're, watch, they're watching a lot. Same way you're watching feeds, they're watching you hunt. And you're locked in on what's going on in front of you, and you'd be surprised how oblivious you are to what's going on around you. Yeah, you see 11 to Especially, 2, but you don't see 9, nine or 3. That's right, especially when you don't think you're breaking the law. 
especially when you're working for four other guys in the pit and you're focused on what's going on with the ducks and you're watching them to respond to your calling or geese to your flagging or whatever. I mean, you're locked in on one thing. You're locked in on the prize, and I guess so are they. Well, Ryan, can't wait till next week. It's going to be a great episode. Look, I, I think we got a lot covered tonight. A lot of education in here. Created a lot of conversation on Duck South. Really enjoyed it. Thank you again for being here, especially with all the bad weather that's going on in Kansas right now. We want to thank all of you that listened to this edition of the End of the Line podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com.